Welcome to the NCLA podcast. I am your host, Rachel Mann, and today we have a returning guest, Dr. Kevin Fleming. Dr. Fleming was with us last summer in June and has done so much, so we wanted to have him back. And if you're not familiar with Dr. Kevin Fleming, he is a CTE administrator. He's a keynote speaker. He is also the CEO of Catapult, which you'll hear more about today, and he's an author. He has dedicated over 20 years advancing the dialogue around eliminating the skills gap and helping students secure a competitive advantage upon graduation. He also currently serves as the Chief Innovation and Engagement Officer for Los Angeles Regional Consortium, supporting 19 community college CTE deans and their programs so that all learners can equip their purpose on purpose. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. For the folks listening in, be sure to expand upon the details of the podcast so that you can learn more about Kevin's work and also for links to connect with him and follow him on social media and to sign up for his newsletter. He just sent out an awesome one today. And Kevin, you are a doer. You are constantly on the go, accomplishing things. And so much has happened just since we had you on the podcast last summer. You've had your children's book released. I've heard that you might have another book coming out in October. Is that correct? Yeah, my fourth one will be coming out just in a few weeks. And it's a little bit of departure because my previous three have been focused um, squarely on on CTE and queer readiness issues. This one's a little bit outside the box. It's actually about the power of language and words uh, applicable to our field, but not exclusively. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be in this new genre of books. It's actually an adult children's book. So it's for grownups. Um, it doesn't use kid language, but it's a quick read. It's a small book, and it's meant just to provoke thought and reflection and to inspire. Um, so it's a it's not a dense read, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. I can I cannot wait to read it. That'll be totally new for me. So I'm excited for that experience. The title will be "Words Are Your Superpower." There's your little oh, hook. There's cool. a, a teaser for you. Love it. That is awesome. Well, with everything that you get done, you know, I'm always hearing people say that someday they're going to write that book. Someday they're going to do that project that they just have so much going on. Well, you have a ton going on, but you're, you're always doing that next thing. What tips do you have for our listeners on how to manage time and to really fit in those passion projects that people put off sometimes until it's too late? Firstly, I think in CTE, we're doers. I don't think I've ever met a procrastinator <laughs> at any of our conventions or, or functions. I think we we get things done. And I think so part of it's the nature of the beast. Part of it is I've always just been a driven person. But in terms of a tip, uh, a couple years ago, I actually stopped using to-do lists, Rachel. And that was like a big move for me because I'm one of those folks, I'm type A. I love to write things down and, and feel that that sense of satisfaction of crossing it off. And I would even go back and add things to my list that I did <laughs> just so I could cross it off. Uh, maybe that's oversharing. Um, but it was I, I've done that too. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> and about, I don't know, a year and a half ago, I stopped using to-do lists. And I actually um, was following someone on LinkedIn and they recommended this as a productivity hack. And they said, in, instead of a to-do list, only use your calendar and your schedule and schedule time to do the things you want done. And what's fascinating about doing that is I found, firstly, I was trying to get too much. And of course, I wasn't getting some things done because there's only so many hours in the day, but I wasn't intentionally scheduling my time that way. Um, but I also found that I was underestimating how long things took. So when I was writing a chapter for my book, I would say like, oh, I'll give myself four hours. Well, it would take 14 or 15 hours. And I realized that I cognitively 
was underestimating how much time something that I, like you called it a passion project. It, some of these take time. So, so by being more realistic with the time, I was able to put other things aside and really just focus on a few things at once. Um, I think we try to do too many things at once often. Um, so my two hacks would be, you know, don't use a to-do list, use your calendar to schedule your time and only do a few things at once. Um, but with intentionality, you'll get more done that way. And I'm going to give that a shot because that, as you're talking about it, I think about my to-do list that can become so frustrating when at the end of the day, there not everything's checked off. You know, I get I like you get that satisfaction from checking off, but you know that those blocks of time that that makes a lot of sense. Well, let me know how it goes for you. <laughs> thank you, oh, thank you. Well, and I love your new title, and I really think that the words that we choose matter as far as how we how we identify ourselves and our work. We know that with rebranding career technical education, how many years ago, and we're still referred to as vocational ed, and having a title like yours, the Chief Innovation and Engagement Officer for the Los Angeles Regional Consortium, that there's a lot in there. What does that title mean? And what are your thoughts on choosing choosing a title or selecting a title like this? Well, I'm very grateful and thankful to um, not only the Los Angeles Regional Consortium Chair, Dr. McKeegan, but it's hosted at Pasadena City College. I'm thankful for the whole region for the opportunity. I think this is the inaugural position. But, you know, Rachel, it's funny. I was, I was just talking to my wife about this recently. This is the fifth time I've been able to kind of write my own job description and pick my title. And which is, I, I don't know if that's me <laughs> or what that's about, but it's it, when I was looking at the work of what they wanted done, here's 19 community colleges in a very diverse, uh, you, you know, a, a very huge population in Los Angeles County um, across 19 institutions. And, and they really wanted two main things done. They wanted strategic and intentional development of, of braiding and leveraging uh, innovative projects across the, the region so that we could truly leverage our size uh, to benefit the communities we serve. So having a title that was focusing on either partnering or collaboration or innovation was important. And then the engagement word really came from the, the focus and the mandate they had on, on partnership engagement and strategically working with employers. And so whether it was employer engagement or partnerships, uh, we just went with engagement because it's engagement across not just employers and the institutional system, but nonprofits and community-based organizations. And we didn't want to leave anybody out. And, and in our world, we work with so many different types of organizations that, that help us support our students. So um, I, I also wanted a title that when I sent an email to an employer, I wanted a signature line that resonated with their language. And sometimes they don't understand, and why would they, the terminology we use in public uh, education, whether it's secondary, post-secondary. So going with a chief innovation and engagement officer, really it's using their language and giving them some signaling to understand, okay, here's my scope and here's what I, they can talk with me about. And it's very clear I'm not focused on exclusively curriculum development or human resources or other things. So yeah, the, the title was very intentional. Uh, I do believe that words matter and they do frame for people, uh, well, our reality and, and our roles. So, so that's kind of a little bit of the genesis behind that one. That's a great point. I've thought before that if I were to start a company with a group of employees, that even allowing people to choose their own title of what, what they feel represents them and that they can feel proud of, I think that that would cause someone even to uh, put to put more into the work to to be more successful because of that title. I, I totally agree with you. I, I was speaking to the Wisconsin 
this was state of Wisconsin had a counselors conference. And for years, the field of counseling has been going through this terminology battle about school counselors, guidance counselors, academic counselors, like there, there's all those terminology, it matters. And, and they frame for employees and for parents and for students, like what a counselor does. And I remember speaking with them and I said, you know, I, if I were king of the world, I remember standing in front of those keynoting and I said, I wouldn't even call you school counselors. I said, I'd call you architects of human development because that's what you do. And I heard, I, I heard that same thing, Rachel. I heard the whole room went, ooh, like that hadn't thought <laughs> like that. And I encouraged them to go online and make their own business cards, regardless of what the human resources office or the org chart called them. I said, create your own cards to hand out until you get in trouble. I said, if you get in trouble, you can tell them I told you to do it for what that's worth. I said, because I agree with you, Rachel, that the title matters. And there's, it's not just about self-efficacy, but it really frames the role of what we do and how we see ourselves and how others see us and how we can contribute to, to them and, and their the trajectory of their lives and their educational journey. You know, another title that I heard, and this was through Business Insider, it was talking about jobs that didn't exist five years ago. And one was Strategic Wizard. I'm like, oof, wizard, I like that. Ooh. It's got a, a nice bite to it. <laughs> I thought someone present one today were the, um, uh, what was their title? Something like the Software Development Ninja. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should be able to have fun with those. And whether it's formal or informal, you know, even if it's unofficial, um, to, to go with that and to frame for ourselves what we do. In CTE, we have a lot of wizards, a lot of chief officers, a lot of ninjas, um, and, and a, a lot of folks just doing amazing things in their title rarely. Uh, sufficiently explains or covers all that they do in the field. I, I spoke to an ed professions class yesterday and they were put in the class and they don't want to be a teacher. And I was talking about how teaching plays a role in every possible profession out there. And, you know, it was, it was just a great conversation with them. But I think that sometimes that, that title even uh, could be revamped a little bit. You know, I, I agree. And recently I've been doing a lot of work with uh, post-secondary and about faculty and about their titles and their roles. And if I had a magic wand, and I recognize fully, I, I, I don't, I'm not Harry Potter, but if I had a wand, Rachel, I would rename all of our faculty in CTE as facilitators of work-based learning or a work-based learning facilitator. In my view, is almost more explanatory and more realistic and, and, and holistic in describing what it is that we do because it includes the sage on the stage, it includes guidance, it includes um, mentorship, it includes facilitating. I think, you know, there's a difference between a teacher and a facilitator. So yeah, I, I, think, we're, I think we're on the cusp of a whole new evolution of education and it's going to force us, I think, to look at our language and that would include in our world bureaucratic job titles and, and the org chart um, and our collective bargaining agreements. And so I think all that will come into question here in, in, and we'll have to choose. We could be reactive or proactive about how we look at that. Um, but yeah, I, I would I, I even refer to a lot of my faculty as work-based learning facilitators to them. Well, you have my wheels turning right now because there's just so many different directions that I'm thinking for in the future based upon uh, changing what it looks like and giving back the respect to the profession when people really see that this isn't your mom and pop vocational shop type of a class and, you know, thinking about what CTE truly is. Absolutely. Especially now, you know, the world is so different and you speak a lot about this with the advancements of technology and artificial intelligence and, and just our learning management systems that we could use. I mean, we have thousands of educators across America 
reinventing the same lesson plans instead of leveraging the technology we have to get uh, you know the best lesson plan in the country on spot welding and and push it out to all of our students and then we facilitate and help them practice and we're the guide on the side instead of the sage on the stage and i think that's what our faculty are doing that's what our teachers are doing um, but sometimes we're spending our wheels dare i suggest inefficiently by replicating things that we really could be leveraging technology to do as well if not better and you know, I'll be the first one to say when I when I would teach business in the classroom, I would do a survey course, and it was a dual enrollment class for high school and for college. It was like you know your business one hundred and one course, and there are some modules I would do better than others. Frankly, there are some piece of content I knew better or felt more passionate about, and so I would bring in guest speakers to in my weaker subjects, you know, to help that shine for the students' benefit because I didn't want them to not get an exceptional and exemplary experience. So I would have some of my friends come in two or three or four modules out of the semester and the students got a better experience out of it. And now with technology, we can do that virtually and we could do that across county lines and across state boundaries. So I, I see in the years to come, we're going to see a online CTE lesson plan repository. That's a horrible name, but it would, it would need to be something <laughs> called far, something far more succinct. But there'll be some repository that any CT faculty could contribute to or could pull down lessons from. Uh, really just to help, not just, it's not about saving time. It's about getting a higher quality educational experience for our students and not reinventing the wheel so we have more time to do the things that require our hands-on coaching presence and mentorship in the classroom. Absolutely. And when you really think about how much technology has developed, and you and I have talked about mastermind courses before, you know, creating mastermind courses for CTE, but within CTE classes, when students truly could have access to the absolute best teachers in the world. And, and then again, like you said, having the facilitators by their side. And there's, when you think about the teacher shortage, just so many different things that we can do to elevate education, provide the best possible experiences for students, and just really leveraging those, those resources that we have through technology. Absolutely. We, we should not pretend unfairly that every instructor, every instructor, regardless of title, um, that every faculty or teacher instructor, we can't assume they know everything about everything. And we can't expect that they're going to get the syllabus or the student learning outcomes and be able to, at, at the same high level of mastery and passion and experiential learning, cover X number of topics in a year. I, I think it's appropriate to recognize that, hey, here's a great teacher, a great facilitator that's passionate about a number of things, that has expertise in a number of things. They have academic or work experience in a number of areas. But they're, they're not going to be all things to all people all the time. And sometimes I think our, we've created a, an expectation. I don't know, sometimes, Rachel, I think it's unspoken. But I think we've created an expectation that if they ask for help or if they, if they bring in portability of curriculum from an outside source or if they leverage too much on, on a colleague, that somehow it's, it's, it's less than or that they shouldn't be doing it or that they're not fulfilling their, their obligation. And I, and I think we have to revisit that and let it be okay to and, and verbally invite and even create structures to enable the sharing of, of such content. So like you said, it'll help with a teacher shortage. I think it would definitely help with burnout and let everyone shine in the areas that is really their best self and then fill in from others um, where they might be a little bit uh, deficient or, or not necessarily as exemplary. Well, that actually is a great lead in to my next question for you, which is what are the different ways CT administrators can receive relevant professional development. So thinking about the whole teacher piece and how you know no one can be the expert in everything, but then bringing that to the administrator lens. And 
I think that sometimes we as leaders forget that that professional development is not something we're just providing for the people that we uh, that we serve as leaders, but that we need to constantly be getting that professional development. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, I spent a lot of time focused on on this topic and I want to thank, you know, ACTE has created a number of spaces to have this conversation and I've been on a couple of their national advisory groups. We've really talked about professional development. And and so over the last maybe two years, um, I've had a lot of conversations with other CTE educators about the way we do professional development. And some of it was birthed in the pandemic in 2020 when I found myself watching a lot of webinars, sitting in front of a lot of Zoom uh, panels. And frankly, if I could just be candid, half the time I was mentally checked out or I was multitasking. Um, you know, checking our email while I'm listening to a Zoom meeting. Like, no one ever has done that. I'm the only one, right, Rachel? I'm sure. <laughs> just you. <laughs> but just me. I'm the only one. And it really got us thinking about what is professional development? What are the different types of it? And what is what is it that's most effective? And so, so in talking with them, I've kind of organized, I think, in our field, all professional development into four buckets. And so I've loosely, you know, titled them, you know, all PD is either about information, motivation, collaboration, or transformation. So let me kind of walk through those a little bit, and I'd love your, your feedback and thoughts on this. So the, the first type of, of professional development we're familiar with, I think, is information. And that's when we're just consuming information from someone else. These are courses. These are seminars. It could be a training. It could be a breakout session at a conference. It could be a, a workshop. It could be an online module, uh, maybe even a podcast. Like these are places where we receive information there's there's not a whole lot else that happens it's it's oftentimes one way maybe there's a worksheet maybe there's some follow-up links um, and there's nothing wrong with that it's important to acknowledge that's there's a role for that um, but there's a certain a certain segment of our professional development that is just information consuming and and that's especially helpful for new right as a new ct professional like what is perkins what's perkins five you know like you need information to be told here's here's the requirements here's the rubric here's the structure like here's here's what you need to do here's your deadlines we need that information. Uh, another, I'll plug for ACT, their online learning network, you know, on ctelearn.com, or, or excuse me, ctelearn.org. There's a lot of great uh, courses and seminars on there that provide information. So that's that's one type of PD that, that we receive. I think related but separately, and I would carve it into a separate bucket, is professional development that provides motivation. I think for me, the best example of that is a keynote speech or even a TED talk. Um, there's a whole genre of motivational speakers and air quotes. And some, I think in this form of PD, it doesn't even have to be directly related to career and technical education. I'm like, we started off today, you asked me about like a, some productivity hacks. Like that transcends just CTE, but it's relevant to us. And so whether it's a TED talk or a YouTube video or anything on social media, I think those motivational pieces are important but they are sometimes separate from information. And so for me, those are two different things worth, worth you know, keeping mutually exclusive a little bit sometimes, that there's information and motivation. So those are, the, those are the first two types of PD. The third I would propose is collaboration. So this is when you actually get into a room, whether it's a conference or a regional summit, sometimes they're called convenings or retreats or strategic retreats. For me, a collaboration PD is when you're sharing effective practices, you're building community. There's a, a, a very strong focus on an exchange, 
on on a dialogue. Um, and there's conferences that are sometimes focused around this. There's the Best Practices Conference. There's ACTE Vision. Um, every federal department, National Science Foundation, Department of Ed, you know, they'll have some of these that are focused on collaboration. And there might be some information. There might be some motivation. But the primary focus is to get people in a shared space to interact. And then, so that's a collaboration type of PD. And then the fourth, I would say, what I call is transformation. So the transformational professional development are those where it might be a more tailored, more customized, more one-on-one. -on -one. So these are your mentorship programs, your fellow programs. It's when you get individual coaching from a subject matter expert. Here's where I think you get into like an institutional specific audit or an institution specific plan where a consultant comes in and does a 360 valuation and, and a transformational PD really then goes deeper than any of the others. And it really has the possibility to change culture and change behavior. And, and you can think about these four things, PD that's information, motivation, collaboration, or transformation. And sometimes you'll come up with an activity that might like a Venn diagram might hit two of the four. Maybe there's components of a conference that might be, you know, one or two or three of the four. But rarely, I don't think it's even possible to have one activity, one event, one, one convening that's all four. Um, I, I think it has to be, have a lot of layers to do that. But I think just to understand and have awareness around the difference, I think helps us to be better consumers in the field of the PD. Like, I think sometimes, too, we'll, we'll go into a situation with false expectations. I'll go to something assuming it's about collaboration, but it's really about information. Or I'll go in assuming it's about motivation, but it's really just a breakout session with a, a monotonous you know, presenter that's not charismatic, but they have one or two good nuggets. And so part of it's just the expectation of framing, but then also being more intentional about what is I'm trying to get out of it, and then seeking the right type of professional development for where you are in the field and what you need in the CT profession to take the next step. And I think too, and I, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but one of the conversations we've had in the past is about that follow-up piece. And, you know, that sometimes it's that one and done model and there's not follow-up. And I think that that follow-up piece is just as important for the person delivering the professional development as it is for the person receiving it. Because there's so many times, and you and I are both keynote speakers, we're talking in front of a, a large crowd and we don't know until sometimes much later what the impact was. I remember having someone at the best practices, NCLA best practices conference come to me a year later. He had been in my presentation and he was a board member. He was a dentist. And he said, you know, I just want you to know that that presentation caused me to go back and change the way I do everything in my office, even with customer service. And that was shocking to me because as someone who works in CTE, it never even occurred to me that someone could take what I was applying towards CTE and then go back as a board member and transform their practice. But I realized I'm like, I need feedback. I need to know what's working, what's not working. So I, I follow up every talk that I do with the option of having a virtual session where we jump on a Zoom call and all of the people who are in the crowd, they can get on, talk about what works, what doesn't work, what resonated. But you know, that, that feedback loop, I think is important to the synergistic piece of professional development. Wow, I, I love that. And I've, you know, I started doing the same about two years ago. And I think because the, you don't just want it to be one and done. 
And, you know, I, I'll be candid. I, I, I would, you know, go and do a, a keynote speech somewhere. And then I would see the, the, the director, the host that brought me out. I'd see them a year later at a conference. And I would say, hey, you know, how, you know, what happened after I left? Like, what was the impact? And all the time, Rachel, they would say, oh, you were fantastic. The survey results were great. We were so happy you came. You were amazing. We'd love to have you back. Oh, but yeah, I, we didn't do those two or three things we talked about because we just got busy, right? And, that, and I, I got frustrated just singing Kumbaya. And then people get busy and they go back to their classrooms or their cubicles and they do things the same way they always did. So that is a, a an amazing story of, about the impact that sometimes, you know, a PD can have in, in ways we can't even envision. But I think that follow up and that intentionality about it's it's answering the question, now what or so what? You know, you go to a speaker and you hear them and, and I agree with you, each of these has a place and there's a role for them for sure. And, you know, I went to a conference uh, about a year ago, it's my one of my first conferences I went to after the pandemic in person, and the keynote speaker was amazing, a great orator. I literally laughed and cried <laughs> in his 35 minutes. He was, was a great orator, a great storyteller. But at the end, I looked to my colleague and I said, I don't know what to do with that. And I said, I, I was entertained. He, you know, he got me emotionally, but I there was nothing there wasn't relevant to my my profession as a CTE administrator, there was nothing I could take back to do differently, you know, at my site, at my college. And, and so there's, there's definitely a role for it, but then it's also realizing, okay, what is the, what's the so what or the now what? So having that, that debrief, having that ref, time for reflection, having that, that follow-up conversation is pivotal, um, almost in, in any of these. Um, I mean, years ago when I would send my faculty to a conference, um, you know, we would require oftentimes a debrief where they would explain and share with other teachers that didn't go, share what they learned and share the handouts and share the PowerPoint. So at least there was some engagement and reflection that they can give back to others for, you know, because not everyone can go to a conference. So yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe in what you're saying about not just the transformative power um, outside of sometimes our intended audience, but then also about that follow-up piece being so vital. Well, and it get, goes back to what you were saying about sometimes where our mind is in other places and, you know, we might be checking email or doing other things, but there's also that sense of accountability that everyone benefits from when you know that there's going to be that follow-up piece where you're sharing like how you applied something or you're going back and sharing it with people who couldn't go. So I think that that's definitely an important part of the learning process. Well, you know, and, and thinking of that, because I, I, uh, love, love, love the catapult model that you have created. It's just brilliant. And I, I think that this is a great lead into discussing what that is for people who have not heard of catapult yet. And you, you developed this and it's such a departure from anything else that we already have at our fingertips. What is this catapult model and, and what was the inspiration behind it? You know, the, the inspiration is really 21 years in the field of, of being frustrated sometimes <laughs> with our PD because I, because I'm a doer and I, and I want, I, I believe that my institution, my students deserve the best and I don't want to, to waste time or money. I don't think we have the luxury of, of wasting our time at these conferences or convenings. And, and, and I had this moment when I realized we do professional development for ourselves very opposite from the way we teach our students. And there's not a lot of learning science that goes into our professional development. Um, and so I created this, this new model with, with a host of, of others that are frankly more brilliant than I, but we created catapults that really identified, okay, how can we take the best of these four models of information, motivation, collaboration, and transformation, and how can we weave that together 
into truly an experience that could get the best of, of all those elements. So, so the Catapult model is, is a masterclass model where we identified five of the best keynote speakers in the country on a specific topic. So they are charismatic, they are motivational, they are informative, but they're also subject matter experts in our field and they have relevancy to what we do. So they're not just a great business book speaker. They know work-based learning. They're, they're not just about productivity. They know career readiness. And so we identified the five best speakers in the country and we put them together on one virtual stage. But one of the, the big things we did different, Rachel, is it's not just for a few people. Unlike a conference or a seminar, people that can get away, you know, for one or two or three days, it's for the whole institution to have a true shared experience from the elected board members all the way to the custodial team so that everybody at an institution can understand and hear the stories, the research, the examples, and get that fire within them to make it frankly easier for us to implement our initiatives. I mean, I would go to conference after conference and it would be like pushing string uphill when I came back to try to convey to my colleagues like what I had learned or what I was all jazzed about. Um, they weren't there. And, and so many times I've heard a keynote and I said, oh man, I wish my vice president heard that. Or, oh, I wish my president, you know, was here for this keynote across on the other side of the country. So we bring in Catapult, we bring all five of the best keynotes to every employee of the institution. And like we were just talking about, we couple after each keynote with a, a local coaching call. And it is a very customized and tailored tactical call for a smaller implementation team. So it's not just singing Kumbaya, but there's real local planning for local issues with the best subject matter experts in the country. And, and the impetus for that was really because I, I heard a great speaker and I said, you know, they touched on one or two things and, and she mentioned a couple things that that is relevant to me, but I wish I can go a little deeper because in my institution, I have this landmine, you know, or in my culture, I have this one problem and, and, and I wish I could just have 15 or 20 minutes with that speaker to talk about my issue because in a large ballroom, you know, they have to stay at the 3000 foot level, but I really wanted to get into to what was relevant for me. So in Catapult, after every keynote, there's a 30 minute coaching call with the speaker or the representative to really get into local issues. So, and, and the, other, the other last piece that we kind of really focused on in this is the learning science. I mean, uh, there's, there's a role for a convening to build community in one or two days, but that doesn't change culture and it doesn't necessarily impact the learning uh, as, as a CD professional to, to help me have a sharper saw to do my work differently. Uh, we teach classes in a whole semester. So a master class in Catapult is a whole semester. About every three weeks is a keynote speaker. So there's time to reflect and digest. And we've created a playbook with each keynote speaker that has customized reflection questions and implementation activities and practice activities. So we can actually engage in the material and apply it locally. So we try to step back and say, okay, how do we get the best speakers institution-wide at a cost that leverages a cohort of institutions so you get better return on your investments, so you get really expensive international speakers at a fraction of the cost, but make sure we're actually learning, make sure we're actually having some local coaching with teams, make sure we're actually digesting and, and, and taking information that ends in a tactical plan. So at the end of the masterclass, we've got three or four things we're going to do different. Not 18 things, not 92 things, because then you know what happens is no one does everything. But in each Catapult Masterclass, just getting those three to five things that the institution's going to do better or different to launch it forward faster, um, differently than if they didn't go through the Masterclass. And so we're elated. Uh, we have three different Masterclasses we've created, uh, one in work-based learning, one in CT recruitment and marketing, and a third in career readiness. 
And our work-based learning masterclass this fall is, is sold out already, and we're, we're um, you know, signing up for registrations for the spring. And we're really just elated by the, the responses and the impact that it's already having on institutions. I mean, you've, you've done an amazing job with really curating the experts in the field and, you know, getting someone with that kind of a presence as Mike Rowe, that's, a, that's phenomenal for this, this coming up cohort. Well, and, and there's no way I could ever afford to bring him to my college on my own dime. And, but I believe in the power of working together. And when you get 10 or 15 institutions to all galvanize and work together on something, we have, if we pooled our money, pooled our time, pooled our resources, we, we're unstoppable as a field and as a community. And I believe that whether you look at it in terms of a local community or a region, or if you look at us as professionals across the nation, when once we get our, our our clarity around purpose, and we all get you know start rowing in the same direction, as as the analogy goes, I truly think um, there's nothing that we we couldn't accomplish. And so so yeah, getting speakers like Heather McGowan and and Brandon Bastide and Mike Rowe and, and bringing them all to you know to to every institution, it hasn't been done before. Um, and so it's been uh, it's been rewarding and very um, encouraging uh, to see the impact that it's having and truly changing culture. And, and frankly, Rachel, what's happening is um, it's it's laying a, a smoother and longer runway for the CTE professionals at their institution. It's a lighter lift to now implement some of these things. They don't have to convince. They don't have to persuade. They don't have to try to convey after a training or a session as to what they learned. The subject matter experts, and the grass is always greener, right? I mean, you, you could be inside, but there's, there's an old quote that says, you are never a prophet in your own land. There's something about bringing in these experts from the outside to speak to us on the inside that it has more gravitas. It just has more weight. Um, and so we're, we're just really excited to see that the culture shifts that's happening as a result. When I was having a conversation with a CT director not too long ago, and she was sharing with me that there are these conferences that she would love to send her teachers to, but right now she doesn't even have a full staff. So she's having to use people in the building to cover classes and to add to that, to take a teacher who could really benefit from going to a conference and try to find a sub for them. That's just too much stress and strain on a system that's already weak because there's not enough staff. So she was telling me how she's very deliberate in planning out her schedule when she goes to the conference so that she can go to classes that represent each of her CT programs and bring back materials and the big takeaways. But it's it's not the same. I refer to it as trickle down PD. You know, it's it's not you're you're going to lose a lot in that process. But there's there's not much you can do. So having a, something like catapult and this model is providing a solution to that even in that sense that everyone is getting it firsthand versus having someone else bringing some things back to them. You articulate a real problem, and with your permission, I'm going to steal that phrase, trickle down PD <laughs> from oh, you. Please do. Please do. But, but you're right. It is difficult. Even, even pre-pandemic, it, it was difficult to leave your, your home, your family, your work for two to five days and attend something. And you come back with a few business cards and a few pages of notes, but then you come back to a full inbox, you know, a dirty house, a pile of laundry, like all this stuff on your desk. You have, te you know, teacher, you know, 50 to 100 students that are asking you for things and you have, pa you know, papers you haven't graded. It is hard upon reentry. And so I do think we have to find that balance between 
experts coming in between virtual or asynchronous learning and then also then that in-person convening. And, I, you know, I'm not a fan 100% on either end of the spectrum. I don't think we should do everything in person. I don't believe we should do everything virtual either. I think there's got to be that hybrid. And so like with some catapult um, institutions, when they've signed up, they will go into their main theater, they will broadcast the keynote speaker on the main stage, and then everyone will go into round tables and spend an hour or two, you know, working through the playbook and still doing a half day, you know, a mini symposium, a mini conference, if you will, and have that shared experience. But they're getting the best of both worlds in that model. And, and yeah, to, to find time to get subs, get out of here. I mean, in some places, it's a non-starter right away. Oh, that's a, that's a great idea. I, I would be bringing in a popcorn machine, too, <laughs> for that one. That sounds fantastic. Popcorns well, and churros, for sure. <laughs> there you go. Well, while we're, while we're on the subject of professional development, what's the best professional development that you've received as a CT administrator? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think... You know, there's an old phrase, uh, what's in it for me, right? WIFM, W-I-F-M. And I think as human beings, we always want to know what's in it for me. And so if we go to a conference, we're seeking that relevancy. If we're, if we're sitting through a webinar, we're, we're listening to that nugget that I can apply or that has meaning to me um, or to all of us as an individual, right? So I think for me, Rachel, the best PD I ever had was was a, a mentorship program. I think it was a one-on-one structured it was a, the one I'm thinking of was it was years ago when I was early in my career and it was a 10 month uh, mentorship program facilitated by us I'm mean, in California is by our state community college administrator association. And it, it was with I was a, a very entry level, you know, director, and I was being mentored by a chancellor. And I had 10 months with one hour a month with very specific topics. And I got to go in the chancellor's office and he would just ask me questions and talk at me and share stories. And I learned so much because firstly, I didn't know what I didn't know. But also it was the first conversations I'd had with an experienced chancellor who had 40 years experience in higher ed. And I was in my second or third year in the field. And, And so that wisdom and that experience um, to, to hear that in a way that was relevant for me to to receive. I mean, it literally changed the way that I today think about the work and think about my role. And I've always had a different maybe regional or broader perspective about the work in large part because of that professional development that was one-on-one, it was tailored, it was specific. And it also had what I call unstructured structure. There was a topic, but also latitude to rift. You could you could you could follow a bunny trail. You could ask a follow up question. Sometimes webinars and 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 even in person keynotes. There's you can't really choose your own adventure too much. It's very fixed. So to have that very relevant, what's in it for me, tailored mentorship, was the best I ever received. And and I recommend uh, for everyone, regardless of where you are in your CTE journey, whether you're new or seasoned. It is always good to have a mentor that you either identify. You can. I just asked someone last month, um, someone that I respect in the field, to be just my personal mentor. He's done some things I want to do. He's a published author and an international speaker. And I asked him if he would be, uh, you know, my mentor for. And I and I actually followed Rachel the same model. I said, look, you're busy. It's it's not in perpetuity. It's not that you're an indentured servant with no end. It's always good to say, hey, for a certain period of time. So I asked him for eight months. If we can meet once a month for eight months, go over some specific topics. Um, so I'm I'm still trying to. I guess, replicate or emulate the best PD I ever got. And I'm trying to do it again and again and again, because there's nothing more beneficial that I have found for me 
than that one-on-one -on -one time with someone that becomes really an ally of yours and they become part of your, your personal board of directors that you can lean on and reach out to and they become a confidant. Um, and it's especially helpful to find someone like that out of your institution. <laughs> so you can even talk about politics or other issues and get a really fresh objective perspective from someone. Um, and that's in part why I think in Catapult, I love the coaching calls. I think that that really tailored one-on-one -on -one time is absolutely invaluable. Well, and I think that what you just said about sometimes having someone outside of your own institution, there's multiple benefits to that. One of them, like you said, is being able to just speak frankly about things. But, you know, with ACTE, we're, we're both mentors through ACTE. And this la last round, when they were uh, pairing me up with a mentor, they, um, the person that they were putting me with, and I'm like, oh, well, I, they're in post-secondary. You know, do you think this is a fit? And they said, well, we're actually trying to find people who have different perspectives, that they're not necessarily in the exact aspect of education so that they're – it's easy so that there's opportunities to reflect in a different way and see things from a different angle. So, and that, and that makes a lot of sense. And we're having a great time. I'm learning as much from her as she's learning from me. And it's just, you know, uh, it, it turned out to be a, a great scenario. See, and what you just said, I think is, is true for anyone that's ever been in, in like that one-on-one -on -one mentorship relationship is both parties gain. You know, I, I'm a mentor um, in the uh, Next Level uh, Fellows Program through ACTE as well, at, as you mentioned. And my mentee is, is happens to be a female in secondary, and I'm in post-secondary. And it's my experience is the same as yours. I'm learning. And it's an exchange of ideas because we do have different perspectives. And I think in our field, especially in CTE, yes, we have seasoned professionals that have been here for a few years. But we all come from different paths. We all have different industry backgrounds. We all have transferable skills and experiences. I think you don't always assume that someone you pick as a mentor has to be older or more seasoned than you. It definitely could be someone that is maybe more fresh or, or you know, less years in this field, but might have experience in other fields or other segments, public or private, two-year or four-year, uh, secondary, post-secondary. So, But I love what you just said, and I really wanted to punctuate it because I learn a lot and get a lot out of the experience as a mentor. Um, hopefully, hopefully as much I'm getting out of it as she does <laughs> as my mentee. <laughs> Oh, and, I, and I'm sure it's definitely a symbiotic relationship. Now, I want to talk some about your book, Redefining the Goal. It, in it, you go really deep into discussing the ultimate why of education, the true metrics that we, that we should really be concerned about, and what the end goal should be. Can you talk a little bit to our audience about your thoughts on the goal of professional development in our field? Absolutely. I, I think you know a lot of this is about being intentional. And so as CTE administrators and CT professionals, if you're seeking a professional development opportunity, I would first inquire, you know, encourage you to inquire about your why. What is it that you're seeking? Are you seeking information? You know, where the, the goal of that is to understand requirements or to learn effective practices, or maybe it's just to get ideas. I went to a conference years ago with a goal of just getting ideas. I was, I was, I needed some fresh ideas on how to revitalize some of my CTE programs. And there's nothing wrong with going with an explicit goal of just trying to seek information and better or different ways to do things. M maybe your goal is you need to light your fire and you need to tap into your emotions. And maybe you you seek a goal of being motivated. Well, that 
that might look like a very different pursuit of professional development than the former with information. Or, or maybe your goal, your why, is to align your team and to get everybody oaring or rowing, you know, in the same direction. Or maybe you just need to define a direction for your department or for your institution. Maybe you're trying to cause a tipping point or, or to create a shared experience. So in any of those, you, you would see, seek some kind of a collaborative professional development experience. Maybe it's more locally, maybe it's with a larger percentage of your teams, you could really have a shared experience and, and alter the culture. Um, or maybe the goal in your metric is, is action. Maybe it's really about altering the, the direction and you need someone else from the outside to come in and do some transformational PD that ends in tactical planning. And you really get that galvanized um, action planning, you know, folks that you wouldn't get from a conference by sending three people, you know, from your institution to. to. So I think for me, the goal of PD, I, I don't think we could ever really answer the question of what is the goal of professional development. I think we have to go deeper and say, well, what's the goal of a specific type of professional development? And what is it that I need, or for those listening, what is it that you need for where you are to take the next step? And, and I would just, you know, uh, propose that, that structure or that kind of paradigm to think about in terms of information, motivation, collaboration, or transformation. You might need more than one, um, or, or after some reflection, you might say, you know, here's really what I'm hungry for or what I can benefit from. And I think having that goal in mind, I might see you at the ACTE Vision Conference or at NCLA Best Practices, and, and we might both be at the same place with a different goal. And I've been to conferences, okay, I shouldn't say this out loud, Rachel, but I've been to conferences where I intentionally didn't go to any sessions because my goal was, my goal was not information. My goal was about collaboration, and there were certain people there I wanted to connect with and spend time with and learn from. And and I don't know, maybe I shouldn't acknowledge that in something that will go online. <laughs> but. But I think it's okay if that's your goal. The whole your... world is about to know. <laughs> that, that's right. It's, they're they're going to wonder, which conference was it, Kevin, and who paid for you to go? Um, but I think, you know, I've been at conferences. I've gotten one or two business cards or one or two nuggets, and it made it worthwhile. Sometimes it's that conversation in the hallway that made it worthwhile. Sometimes it's the vendor that you stop by and you speak with that truly has a solution that will help you jump higher and run faster in serving your students. I think I think it's just about being, as I said before, about being intentional about your why, being reflective about, as a CT professional, what it is I need next, and then giving yourself permission to pivot because what you needed last year at the conference might be different than what you need this next year at the conference. And maybe the same conference for your 10th time isn't isn't a great you know use of your time and effort, um, or maybe it is, but to go and do it a whole different way and not get burnt out or or, or go to as many sessions. So I, I think it's about intentionality. Our, our field is so diverse and we have so many different professionals coming from so many different angles. It would be folly of me to say there's one answer to that, but I would say that the answer about what is the goal of PD will look different for all of us at a different time, depending on where we're headed and what we feel we need next. Well, we cannot underestimate the relationships that we build through those conferences, because if you remember, that's how we met. It was after your <laughs> keynote in Tampa. Oh, geez, was that 2015, I believe? Oh, plus or minus. Your memory is better than mine. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, so it, you know, those, I, I feel like the connections that I make, I end up being able to, it's, it's not just going to the session, the, those connections continue and continue. So it's, I think it really is an important aspect that we can't underestimate. I am speaking of pivoting. I am going to pivot because I opened my email prior to us getting on this call and saw your newsletter that I mentioned earlier, but I didn't have time to read it yet. I love the title in it though, Models Not Blueprints. Can you talk a little bit about that in the article through techniques on that on that subject? Absolutely. So in the September techniques, I don't want to ruin it for those that are interested in reading in the techniques article that hopefully we can we can link to uh, in this podcast. Uh, my co-author, Dr. Adams, and I talked about sometimes we don't have a clear blueprint for what it is that we're doing. We're, we're not given architectural plans on exactly how to build a CTE program or how exactly to shrink the skills gap or how to to increase the, the economic vi vitality in our community. There's not a step-by-step -step guide to this, it's, but it, oftentimes it's more about having a model. Maybe if in, in the article we talk about a three-dimensional architectural model sometimes can force us to work together and, and create new approaches and new materials, maybe even new blueprints on how to create something that's never been created before. And so in the article, we draw that architectural analogy to talk about, you know, in our field, we don't have blueprints oftentimes, but we have models and we know where we're going. We know what the end result should look like, but it is really about creativity and adaptability and being willing to partner with others to solve a problem and not not assuming or pretending or shouldering uh, a misbelief that we're going to have all the solutions on our own, but really tapping into the collective community that we are all part to build something new. Uh, none of us knows exactly what the world's going to look like in 10 or 15 years. Um, you know, I, I was watching a video recently about the difference 13 years makes and, and the difference between, you know, 13 years ago about getting, uh, you know, smartphones or about, you know, the, the internet 13 years ago and what, you know, technology and cars 13 years ago. And so I don't know exactly what the field's going to look like just over a decade. But what I do know is that there's no blueprint for how to get there, but that it's going to look very different than it does now, but that we're still going to be in education. There's still going to be a need to provide students the information and, and the technical training that they need to be successful. So, so the article really talks about how to look at it with uh, maybe a different perspective than, than we have before. Well, I can't wait to dive into it later. And it's a great title and great concept. So I'm sure it's going to have a lot for our listeners. So definitely expand upon the details of the podcast so that you can tap into the link to the techniques article. And Kevin, this has been such a great conversation. Prior to starting the recording, we had said that 20 minutes is the uh, the sweet spot for podcasting at 20 to 30 minutes. And I know this is so much more, but uh, it's such, it's such great content. I really appreciate you coming back well, and being a guest again. Well, and thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity and, and, and your time. I know we could, you know, educators like to talk. We could do this all day, but I, <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to dive into this. This is a topic. I think it's timely. It's important to, to me. I feel passionate about this, and I know it's important to, to you in the field. So thank you, and thank NCLA for the opportunity. All right. And for our guests listening in, be sure to subscribe and like the NCLA podcast. And if you have ideas that you would like for us to address in future episodes, or if you would like to be a guest and talk about best practices happening in your programs, please reach out to me. Thanks again, Kevin. Thank you, Rachel.